Welcome to the Breaking the Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we cover another form of alternative education. And when we talk about breaking into tech, a lot of people think that you need to learn how to code. And while we do interview a lot of founders from coding boot camps, today we're actually going to cover a different program called Tradecraft that focuses on roles that tend to be uh, less technical, even though sometimes they require coding skills. If you guys have been listening to the podcast series, you guys have heard from people like Chia Lin on episode 14, who used to work in the kitchen and became a designer. You've heard another graduate from the Tradecraft program that was on episode 7 that moved here from Chile and works in growth at Samsara. You've heard episode 17 from Ina Hurley, who was a journalist and now runs growth at Zumper. And, you know, Tradecraft is just a fantastic program. Uh, we love the people at Tradecraft. And you're going to learn a lot of gems about how their program is structured through Nick DeWilde. It's an amazing episode. Please let us know what you think in the reviews. Check it out uh, and let us know what you think. Bye. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And they just got back in from L.A. here in San Francisco. And this is the Breaking Into Startups podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're sitting here at Tradecraft on a Monday night talking about breaking into startups. For those of you who don't know what Tradecraft is, it's an immersive program that helps people break into tech via BD, designer, or growth roles. And Arthur, please introduce our guest. Yeah, today we have a very special guest, Nick DeWild, who is a program director at Tradecraft. And Nick has a very interesting story. He started out after college, moving to LA and um, becoming an aspiring screenplay writer. He was busting tables during the day, writing screenplays at night. I did that for a while and then realized that he wanted to kind of get close to the startup scene. So he moved out to San Francisco, got in business development for several startups, including Zumper and Dev Bootcamp, went to business school, and then he fell in love with the immersive educational model. And uh, he joined Tradecraft as a program director. Nick, before we begin, tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you got your start, what were you passionate about before you even went down to LA? Thanks, guys. That was a good, it was a good explanation. I don't, I don't think I could have done that. <laughs> uh, no worries. Yeah, so born in San Francisco. I, when I was a kid, was always very certain that I was going to go make movies and be in movies and write movies. First substantial memories like saw independence day saw an alien spacecraft blow up the white house and was just like movies are the best <laughs> i'm not sure if i can i swear on this yeah, yeah, yeah sure. whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. movies are the shit so I ended up going to college stanford to studied psych planning to be a screenwriter decided i was going to take the plunge and move to la was you know pretty unprepared for just like the craziness of being your own boss every single day and like you know going from unpaid internship to waitering job to and it was it was a blast and it was it was like being in love with a, with a hot girl in, yeah. in high school is, is what being in LA is like where like 
one day you're being told, oh man, your pilot is so amazing. Like I want to take it and I want to make it into a show. And then the other day it's like, what pilot? Oh, who, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, so decided to leave LA uh, just for, for my own sanity. Ended up coming up here and circuitously getting involved in startups. My break was basically a client of mine at the bank, First Republic, the CEO of a, of a company called Zumper, and this guy, Anth, who's amazing, and Taylor Glassmore, you know, sort of gave me a shot at, you know, helping grow both sides of the market for their six-person startup. They'd just gotten a bunch of funding, and I basically said, I will do, you know, whatever is needed. I will make cold calls, and I will get us PR, and I will do whatever, whatever we can to grow this thing. Got it, got it. So, so take us a little bit back. So you, you graduate, you have this passion for making movies, you yep. take the jump, you move to LA, Yep. realize it's a little bit harder than you thought, or you wanted to do something else, you move back to San Francisco, and you got into the startup. Tell us a little bit about you know, where you stayed to you know, when you got back yep. to San Francisco, how you got into this next job. You know, yep. I know you got your break at Zumper, but yep. did yep. you apply to a bunch of companies, or how did that work? So fortunately, I'm from San Francisco. My parents still live here. And so I had an amazing crash pad, which is my parents' place. And they were kind enough to house me in my childhood bedroom. And I will tell you, there's, there's very little that is more motivating than, than coming back to live in your childhood bedroom. You're just, you're like ready to go. You can't bring a girl back to your childhood bedroom. You just, keeps you focused. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it's a humbling experience. Humbling experience. And so I think the, the, so the, the question was, did I apply to a bunch of different startups? I think I didn't. It was really like I heard, you know, I, I kind of had the bug that the point when I was I was at the bank, it was just sort of like I had heard like tech was just everywhere. And I, I was helping the bank break into the tech industry. And so doing that was basically just building a lot of interesting relationships with people. And I was, you know, I was just really excited. And, you know, Zumper had just raised funding from a bunch of different interesting investors, Andreessen, NEA, Kleiner Perkins. And I really liked the model. I think thought the apartment rental industry is is just, you know, antiquated and painful. And, you know, they had a lot of these really interesting ideas, which they were based around and just liked the team a lot. And so, you know, fortunately, I kind of just sweet talked my way into, you know, I said, I'll work for cheap. Yeah. And how'd you get the job at the bank or why did you go into banking from writing? Yeah. So, I mean, I would not say it was banking, right? It was, it was really like a, it was like this totally weird role that I don't even know if it, it exists at any other bank, right? It what was, was the title? It was, we called it tech outreach associate. Okay. And so, so it was the, you know, had spent some time at the bank during college as like an intern doing like customer support, had my old boss there reach out and say, Hey, we're, we've got this initiative. We want a young person to come in and help us, you know, meet young founders. And because I think most of the bankers there were sort of over 40. And so, you know, it was, it was a, a hard cultural connection to make. So it sounds like you took a lot of humble paths to follow your dreams. I mean, you, you took the plunge, you served as a waiter, you lived at your parents' house, you did customer support. Oh yeah. You went to the bank and then you got to Zumper. So, you know, and while I was, was in LA, it was you know, definitely being a waiter, I got fired from being a waiter. I was the worst waiter ever. <laughs> Funny story, while I was a waiter, I served burgers to David Duchovny, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ted Danson, and Saeed from Lost. Did you have your elevator pitch ready for the screenwriting? I, you know, I didn't. I, I was just, I was so nervous about like being a waiter that I was going to like drop a salad on them that like, 
I just I, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't even think about like what food they were ordering, let alone think about you know my screenplay pitches. Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. Sometimes like you know the homeless opportunities still can get you face to face to where you're trying to go. Totally. So it, it sounds like when you move back to SF, you pretty much uh, land in a position that was perfect for you because you were building relationships with the uh, startups and one of those opportunities eventually ended up as a job at Zumper. Tell us a little bit about what you did at Zumper mm-hmm. and uh, how did you enjoy that experience? Yeah, so it was definitely the, like a really great role for me just because building relationships is sort of the, it's the thing that I always come home to is like a skill that I can usually add value at whatever company I'm mm-hmm. at. And so that was really nice. And I think building relationships and getting to learn about the startup industry on a company's dime was amazing. Getting to go to a bunch of conferences that I had no business attending and yeah. But I would say being at Zumper was great. And I got to dive into a bunch of skill sets that I didn't have much exposure to, which is like sales and cold calling and, you know, basically trying to start up both sides of a marketplace. So trying to start up the supply side, which was, you know, the units that were going to be listed on our site, which was through landlords, property managers, brokers, and start trying to like start up the San Francisco market. And then at the same time, trying to get a bunch of PR and do things to also grow the demand side. Yep. And while you were doing that, it sounds like some of those skill sets, people have worked years to develop. How did you pick up some of those marketing or some of those growth uh, skills? You know, I think I, I leveraged I mostly like when it came to the growth stuff, I mostly leveraged channels that I kind of was already good at. So like writing some content or, you know, trying to get press, right? Like versus, you know, I did not learn SQL, mm-hmm. right? Or I did not get become an SEO master. And had I stayed on longer at Zumper, I probably should have would have and should have tried mm-hmm. doing that. I think, you know, it was it's 2011 and they're just like there wasn't the the amount written about growth that there is now, which isn't like a great excuse, but it it, it was it felt harder to learn. I think I, I like went to a couple Skillshare courses and mm-hmm. things like that. The guys at Zumper were just incredibly patient with me, and and I kind of my gift was just I would do whatever they needed, and I was kind of you know as relentless as I could be about it. Can you tell the people what Skillshare is? So Skillshare and Skillshare at the time was actual real live classes. What Skillshare is now, I think, is, is more along the lines of MOOCs and the type of thing that Coursera and Udemy do. Yep, and MOOCs being massive open online courses. Exactly. Yeah, Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about kind of your next steps. So you've done a few things after that that eventually led you to Tradecraft. So tell us a little bit about how and what happened along the way. And yes. why you went there. Yeah, yeah. So so it was kind of an interesting trip. So I'd actually decided to apply to business school while while I was at the bank and then switched jobs right after I applied because I wanted to make sure that I was in a job. So I, I only applied to one business school, which was GSB, because I wasn't really sure that I wanted to go to business school. But I thought if I got into GSB, I would, you know, want to go there. And mostly it was a lot of like feeling like inadequate in a room, right? Feeling like until I got a formal business education, I wasn't going to know what I was talking about. And, and it, it's a, you know, it's a thing that, that I was worried, like I, I wasn't going to have the skill set I needed to be able to, to kind of, you know, make the career moves I wanted to make. And so ended up at, you know, and decided like, while I was Zumper, I loved the team. I loved what I was doing, but I, I kind of realized that at some point they were going to need to hire someone who is professional in sales, someone who is professional in marketing. 
And I didn't have the confidence that I could build that skill set. Yeah. So it sounds like you um, got to Zumper, you start working a lot of these, wearing a lot of hats, like the typical startup culture, I guess, where you were uh, every single day, you were doing something new, you were learning a lot. But then at some point, you realized that you were missing like a hard skill set. And it sounds like that's what pushed you to apply and go attend a business school. So tell us a little bit about your experience there. And do you feel like you were able to fulfill that urge that you initially had? Yeah, I think a ton of great things that I learned in business school, a lot on kind of the soft side on you know, things ranging from like negotiation to there's a class called touchy feely, which is just like <laughs> getting really like empathetic with each other. There was a ton of great stuff that I learned there. I would say, I think where my education was missing was in terms of like the hard skills that mm -hmm. I came looking for. And so, you know, like didn't learn sales, didn't learn growth. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's understandable because I think the, a lot of the professors there like came, you know, came up at a time when, when like, you know, in pipeline businesses versus platform businesses, there's just such a fundamental difference in how, you know, these startups run because of, you know, the cost of distribution being zero. And so I, that sort of led me to figure out, okay, well, and to let me like look for right, well, where where are people teaching these skills? And that was right when Dev Bootcamp was starting and General Assembly was starting and places that were looking to actually teach this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so went out looking for that and ended up spending you know my summer internship at Dev Bootcamp. Mm -hmm. uh, went to the burgeoning New York location and and had a blast and met some great people and you know. But I think it was you know ultimately the thing that got me excited was finding tradecraft and finding this like really relational model. Mm -hmm. uh, and so ended up, you know, coming back after at the end of the very end of the summer and, you know, telling the founders of tradecraft who I met from a previous role that mm -hmm. I would work for free for, you know, for three weeks for them mm -hmm. and, you know, haven't really looked back. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about tradecraft. I think you have a very unique angle um, in the way you guys help people get into tech because there's a lot of boot camps, like traditional boot camps, which promise you that after three months, you're going to walk away with like, you're going to go from knowing, not knowing how to code to becoming this like super talented software engineer, right? You kind of attack it, you take it from a different angle where you go after more like, I guess, very popular jobs, but maybe less well-known or tell us a bit about the curriculum and what types of programs you guys offer to your students. Sure. I'll, I'll give you kind of like the, the high level idea of Tradecraft, which is if you think of like, if you'd graduated from college back in the 60s, like you would have gone to a company that would have, you know, trained you and taken care of you kind of for life. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really exist any longer. It's, you know, you're going from, you're switching startups every 18 to 36 months. And the problem is like every time you, you make one of those switches, like you're going to a different market, you are, you're learning a different, you know, set of tools and things like that. And so mm -hmm. you suffer from this concept that that economists call bounded rationality, mm -hmm. which is basically to say that there are all these unknown unknowns. So for example, there are all these skills that not only have you not studied, but you haven't even heard of. There are people out there who you haven't met. You don't know the roles. You don't know the names of the companies. And so it's just like there are all these opportunities that don't get opened up to you. And so we really see our role as aspiring towards this ideal of the perfect mentor, which you know, means different things depending on who you are. But generally, the perfect mentor was in the kind of place where you are, is in the kind of place where you want to be and can expose you to the skills you need, can expose you to the, the network you need, can expose you to the opportunities you need. And so we really are trying to partner with people kind of for the rest of their career. And so that's, that's sort of the high level idea. You know, in actuality, like the career jump that we do most often is either people who are 
looking to break into tech for the first time or people who are already in tech looking to level up in a new skill set. Got it. And it sounds like the the verticals that you go deep on are product design, growth, sales, and business development. Yep. Why did you choose those verticals and how are those programs structured? You know, I couldn't exactly tell you why we chose those in the beginning because I wasn't exactly there for the inception, but I think we saw those as really, those were the ones that didn't have this immersive education model tied to them. And that really, you know, a lot of startups weren't getting weren't getting distribution right. And distribution is a really hard thing. And so weren't getting the, you know, the people side and the delivery right. And so the kind of things that make up that funnel is like, if you're talking about acquisition, retention, you know, revenue, referral, things like that, like that's all tied into, you know, to uh, those are all the levers you pull are ones that involve growth, that involve sales, that involve design. Awesome. So what are the type of uh, things that people do day to day in those positions? Because I think a lot of our listeners may have heard of growth, but growth in general is a pretty broad term Yeah, yeah. or product design. So what would be some of the like jobs that people get with these kind of, I guess, majors or... Um, sure. Well, like if, if I'm in a random industry and I want to get in, what's that process? Like how do we sure. you know, get into that? I'll hit the kind of individual tracks and, and then kind of talk about how to, how to break into them. So if you're talking about growth, I like Andy Johns has a good, a good definition of it, which is basically, you know, in the same way that a CFO is in charge of dollars flowing in and out of a company, the growth marketer is in charge of users flowing in and out of a product. And so it's an, an awesome role to be in to like learn the business, especially if you feel comfort on the analytical side. So if you have an econ background, if you have, if you are, you know, just enjoy data in general and enjoy math. And if you're in finance, like, it's a good place to be because it's it's one that can lead to a lot of different places that can lead you into product management and just sort of at the core of like the engine of the company, especially at like a B2C company. If you're talking sales, like those are roles that require influence where you know you have a bigger ticket item that requires you to be able to influence somebody across the line, to be able to navigate, you know, a big enterprise. And I think one of the things that I found when just starting to meet really excellent salespeople was how deep of a skill set it is and involves body language reading, face reading, you know, copy, like just a lot of things that to people, you know, don't seem like hard skills, but really, you know, they're very difficult to master skills and ones that you really need other people around you to master. And then product design, I don't have as pithy of a definition as, as for growth, but you can kind of think of it as as you know starting with with the user interview all the way through to the really high fidelity screens that are use end users can end up seeing and in the middle there's wireframing and understanding how you know people's psychology works and how to create products that have hooks that bring you back and and you can tie most of those roles to a certain metric and i think that's often the way we think about it rather than saying like hey let's teach you a skill set it's like our goal is to get you into a job and that job is going to be measured on something. And there are certain levers that you have to move those metrics in the right direction. So for product design, like you will probably be, you know, measured on activation or retention, right? And so there are certain, you know, whether it's visual design, whether it's feature ideas, like there are certain levers that you have that can move those metrics in the right direction for growth, right? You know, they're a little more obvious. It could be acquisition. So paid advertising, things like that. That's kind of the way that we think about it. It's a nice breakdown. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys have these three tracks. 
for our listeners who are just starting to get to know what each track is, they're probably wondering things like product design, people go to universities, they major, they go for four years to learn that skill set. What do you think makes you guys unique in how you guys teach that skill set to someone who might not have done it before that makes them hireable to a potential employer? Yeah, so it's good to start with like how do you actually get a job and get a new job? How do you and you break into tech? And the way we kind of think of it, it's like there's skills, like what you can actually do, right? Mm-hmm. So so that might be make a wireframe. It could be write in SQL, right? Whatever that is. There's your messaging, right? Like how you tell that story. And then there's the network that you use to get into those companies that you want to get into. I think a, a lot of people over-index on the skills. When in entry-level roles, like, you know, you do need to be able to do a lot of things, but like there is, it's not so insurmountable that it actually takes a two-year program to get it. What you need to become a product designer is you need few, a great portfolio with three or four great client projects in it. And so for us, like we really focus on real world projects. And so having people do real projects for real startups in order to get to that point, like they need to have the skills necessary to do that. So we have curriculum so that they can build skills every week. And then at the same time, we have a networking component so that they can be building relationships while they're doing it. And so the idea is that like, while you're actually in the program, you are sort of launching a soft job search while you're sort of working on the messaging of your story. So while you're in the program, you're working on projects for actual startups. That's pretty cool. And how do you actually get into Tradecraft? So there's a, a cryptic looking website that you can visit at, at tradecraft.com. And then there's a, an apply button at the top. And it's the application process is basically it's a, it's a couple interviews. And then depending on, you know, the way we, we have a couple ways that we look at candidates. You know, one is we want to know that every candidate that we bring in is going to like get a lot of value from coming here. That's really important to us. And then it's really important that they are also going to be able to offer a lot of value to the other students in the program. So no one should feel like, oh man, we let in, you know, one extra student and, you know, that student is is taking away value from me. Every student who's here should feel like, you know, I'm so glad this person is like a member of my network. The other way we look at it is like we look at it from the perspective of the hiring manager. Tradecraft, you know, while it's less expensive than business school, it is still a lot of money. And so and how much does it cost? It costs $14,000. And so that's that's not cheap. And so we want to make sure that if someone is going to come here and they're going to, you know, they're going to make this transition that like we think that they're going to be able to successfully make it. And so we try to think from the point of view of the hiring manager. And so really thinking like, you know, how many leaps of faith are you asking this hiring manager to take? And so if it's too many, you know, we'll probably say, hey, look, you're a little too early for us, right? If we don't see like an attitude that we think is one that can help that person break in, you know, because we're very rarely in the, in the game of turning down people who would be fantastic and would easily have, you know, have an easy time breaking in. We're really trying to make sure that we're aligned with the student. Got it. So how would you describe that attitude? I would say, you know, the attitude that we most often see correlated with success is, is really tied to people who can flip the script, who can, instead of saying like, what do I want? Can say like, what does this person sitting across from me want? Right? Like, what does this hiring manager want and how can I deliver that value to them? Rather than saying like, is someone going to give me a mentor? Saying like, what might this mentor want that I can offer them and how can I make sure I deliver that value? It's really easy when you look at a program like Tradecraft to say like, hey, I'm spending $14,000. What am I going to get? 
right? And, and, and I understand that impulse. But at the end of the day, it's the people who say, like, what can I give to the other people in this program? What can I offer to mentors? What can I offer to everyone else that I see who just get the best outcomes? Yeah. And it, and it sounds like outside of the skills, not only are you getting some experience working with the startup, which is very important to get these initial jobs, but you also have access to a mentorship network. Is there financing available? So there is financing available. And in general, like we're a bootstrapped organization. And so like it isn't like we run off this tuition. And so it's, we do care about getting paid at some point, but like we are generally flexible for, you know, for the right people. If we, we will be creative and, and if someone's, we find someone who is smart and motivated and they want to come here, like we will help them figure it out. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, just like you're bootstrapped and you're working at a startup, everybody wears many hats to get results. You also help somebody get results to be able to follow their dreams as well. Yep. Yeah. And just to build on what Ruben is saying, when you do end up at a startup, a startup doesn't want a candidate who wants to give, who wants to help, not someone who's going to say, hey, I'm going to work with you, but what, what are you going to teach me? Or like, it shouldn't be them coming to you. It should be you always proactively pursuing either new opportunities or adding value to what they're trying to do. Can you tell us some examples of people who broke into startups after Tradecraft? And I guess maybe it's some stories that we wouldn't necessarily expect them to break in, but they've still done it. Sure. Just because this one is, is sort of the most recent person that we had break into a role. We had recently a woman who is a pastry chef at a Michelin star restaurant who came to us and wanted to be, become a product designer. She just got a role at a small startup in the real estate space, and she's super pumped. And you know, I think product design is a really hard transition to make. It takes sort of the level, the level and there's just so much to cover, and there's it's kind of similar, I think, to engineering in a lot of ways, but there are many less designers at a company than there are engineers. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tough transition to make. And so, you know, she worked her ass off and she, you know, she produced great work while she was here and she was just, you know, good to the people around her. And yeah. so it was exciting to see her, see her win. Yeah. And it makes me think a little bit about storytelling because mm-hmm. with these leaps of faith and, you know, related to design and she's working at a, well, a Michelin star restaurant. You know, there might be arts things related. Did you help her craft her story? And if you did, can you tell us a little bit about how she framed her story? So I won't take any credit for her for helping her craft her story. She did that with the help of our careers, our head of careers, Ariane. But she actually wrote a fantastic medium post. I think it's it's something like what I learned as a as a what I learned about design from working in a Michelin star restaurant. And it, it has this, you know, very attractive picture of this, you know, pastry she made and and it, it got like 400 likes on Medium and got an editor's bump and all these. So we, we've actually, we've had, you know, Ina, who, who I know you guys have had on the podcast, like, you know, she has also, she wrote a bunch of great Medium posts that got her a lot of distribution. So in terms of telling your story, like, you know, you can individually tell your story to a lot of people, but being able to kind of tell your story on mass and be able to tell it in a way that's compelling and, and in a way that delivers value to other people. That's huge and, yeah. and, and really helpful. Sounds like we should have her on the podcast. What's her name? Ina Hurley. Oh, or, 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 or Chia. The, Chia Lin. Yeah, yeah. Chia Lin. Chia Lin. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. she's great. And um, during the pre-interview, you actually mentioned that like, you got to also think from the perspective of the hiring manager. So can you give our listeners kind of a window into how does a, what does a hiring manager think when he looks at candidates who graduated from tra- uh, Tradecraft? Or she sure. looks at candidates. Yeah. So I think in general, the, the way to think of, of the hiring manager is like, 
I think a lot of people have a misconception that a hiring manager is, is looking to hire the best person for a role. And I don't believe that to be true. Uh, I think uh, a hiring manager, like everyone, they are loss averse. Their goal is to not get fired. And so, you know, taking a big chance on somebody who doesn't have the prerequisite skills or doesn't have a lot of the signals, you know, that can get them in trouble. And so, you know, there's a saying like, no one ever got, got fired for buying IBM, right? Yep. The, the same is true for, for Harvard or for, you know, a Stanford computer science program, right? And so, in order to, so your goal is to have them taking the smallest number of leaps of faith you can, right? And like, you know, or being able to arm them with a story that is compelling enough to make people buy in. To get them to sell it to their their team. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, in the same way that like that, you know, you need a champion and you want to be able to turn the hiring manager into that champion and you want to be able to deliver on that promise, right? You want to be able to like go into a company afterwards and have that hiring manager have vouched for you and they say, you know, like Ruben was so fantastic. You know, I know he's a cello player and he's, you know, he hasn't worked in tech before, but I really, you know, have a good feeling with this guy. And then it turns out, you kill it and then you make you know him or her look amazing and get promoted. You should always be trying to get your boss promoted or anyone who's vouched for you. Yeah. And just to touch on Ruben's story, when he moved out to San Francisco, he didn't just go on a company's website and apply for a job. He actually reached out to people who worked at startups, grabbed coffee with them. And if you look from what you just said about a hiring manager, a hiring manager can tell a very convincing story of someone who proactively reached out to them and pursued them, took them out to coffee, wanted to know more about a company and convinced his coworkers to greenlight it versus saying that, oh, he just applied on the website, submitted a cover letter and uh, don't don't (laughs) apply on the website. Yeah. I never got a job to the website. And so, I mean, mean, that's a great story. And and shout out to Jane Yu at All School that looked out for me because there was no job on the website. She created that. Yeah, don't apply on the website. It's like there are great ways to get in. Like the number of people who who truly get hired from the website. Like if you've got all the credentials, sure, go apply on the website. But if if some if you're looking for someone to take a chance on you, you need to either email them directly with a super compelling pitch, or you need to find some warm intro to them. I think warm intros are a better way. But I've also seen some folks, you know, who are total hustlers who have you know gotten intros by just being incredibly pleasant and delivering a ton of value right off the bat. Yeah. Timor did that very well with Max Lefson. <laughs> yeah. And to add to that, I actually, I was super impressed when I heard Ina's story, she wrote a blog post, how she got a perfect job. And in there, she mentions how um, like in the middle of the job search, she was learning growth at Tradecraft. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's something you guys recommend your students do, but she started a referral program where she picked a few startups she was passionate about and she created campaigns for them completely on her own will like not affiliated with the company just started getting people to sign up using her referral code and then at some point they she had something like a hundred people or more sign up and then she was doing so well that they couldn't ignore her they're like who is this girl that just referred a hundred people to us she's referring more customer stars than our team (laughs) and so that puts you on the radar and then they reach out to you and then you're so good they can't ignore you basically, right? And so it's related to the whole project thing, the project oriented thing that Tradecraft is focused on where like you're doing work that's relevant for the company before you actually work for the company. Totally. And it's no accident that we you know, we really want people to 
be working for the type of companies that they want to eventually go to. And so the idea is if when you're doing the project work here, you should be building relationships with the people that you know that you want to eventually get hired by or people who have businesses that are similar. But it doesn't mean that like you know when when you are going in to apply for a role, like when you are entry level, you need every advantage you can get. And entry level might mean you're going to tech for the first time. It might mean you're going from sales to growth. It might mean you're going from growth to design, right? Whatever it is, like when you're asking someone to take a chance on you, de-risk it. De-risk it by doing some great work for them, right? But don't do it for every company because you only have a limited amount of time. Do it for the ones that really matter. And there's thousands of startups, just like there's thousands of happy hours and only a few of them are the ones that provide all the returns. So, you know, they say the famous quote, which is this, if you get a seat on a rocket ship, it doesn't matter which one, just hop on. So I like that quote, but I, I do take a little issue with it. And I think the issue I take with it is that I think if your goal is like developing a skill set, I think a lot of people end up taking a seat that doesn't allow them to develop the skills they want. And in the long run, I really do think your goal is to like eventually you want to be the rocket ship. You want to be the person that the company gets like you want to be the person who gets acquired. And so in sort of a journey to mastery, right? Don't worry too much about your title, but do worry about what you're learning. I think don't worry about your title. Don't worry about your salary. Do worry about what you do every day because that's the thing that really matters. I like that. I like that. That's good. You are the rocket ship. You'd be the rocket ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's next for you? What's next? You know, I, I love this place and I very would be very hard for me to imagine leaving it just because I think one of the things that I found in, in tech was the scale of impact here is really great. But, you know, perhaps very self-servingly, like I really like to help people who are in the room with me and who I can meet and talk to and help them with something really large and monumental. And so I think you guys are all the same way. Like you guys really help liking, you know, like helping people make that transition in tech. I feel the same way, you know, like the moment when, you know, we had a student who got hired at a dream company, right? Like that is, that's an amazing feeling and being involved in that any way, shape or form, you know, I. It's definitely kind of a, a, a junkie high. Nice, nice. So before we jump to the lightning round, I actually had another question for you. And uh, it sounds like one of, your, one of your strengths is networking and building those relationships. For our listeners, what would be some of the advice, some of the tips that you would give them or some of the things that you tell your students to do while they're building their relationships? Because mm-hmm. I personally think it's critical. A lot of people don't know where to start. So mm-hmm. I think they would definitely appreciate some of your wisdom. And it's valuable for technical and non-technical yeah, people. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of building relationships and who you want to start out with, I always think low-hanging fruit, right? If you find people who, who match your affinity group. And the, the funny thing is the rarer that type of person is in tech, the more likely they'll meet with you. So I'll take like Chileans, right? When you've had a couple folks from Chile come here and when they reach out to anyone from Chile, it's like, they will instantly meet with them. The weird thing about being a white dude who comes from Stanford is like other white dudes who come from Stanford don't feel that much affinity with you. And so you actually have this advantage if you can find a really rare group that you're a part of. So if it's your college, if it's your ethnicity, you know, use those things to your advantage. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of my, my initial start. And then the biggest thing when meeting people, and I'm, this is the same thing that I've talked about before. Like there are obviously many, you know, hacks and tactics and things like that to get important people to meet with you. But like the biggest thing is like flip the script, right? Instead of thinking, what can this person do for me? It's what can I do for this person? 
you think when you are starting out that you don't have a lot to offer because like you're, you're still new to this place, but like you have, you know, you have your time to offer, you have your attention to offer, you know, the skills that you're building, the things that you're reading, the information that you have, you have to offer, like send someone a great article and show that you've listened, right? Like send their, you know, if they just wrote a medium post, like just send your reactions to it and show that like that you've been caring and listening and then send it out to 10 people and get recommends from all of them. Like that shows that you care and, and it, it gives you sort of this reciprocity, you know, the other person will try to make up for you. Nice. Great answer. And you talking about adding value to the person you're meeting just made me think about something that Tim Ferriss mentioned on his podcast. And what he said is, if you're at some point, you might want to reach out to people who have money, right? So how do you add value to someone who has a lot of things like Max Lefchin or some of these big like rock stars mm-hmm. in SF? And uh, I think you mentioned something like, if they have everything that they ever wanted, tell them, listen, I know you support this charity and for every 30 minutes that you spend with me, I'll go and volunteer 10 hours Mm -hmm. at the charity that you support. Or you can create this sort of balance where their time is valuable to them, but you're also showing that you're willing to give a lot and uh, you want very little in return. So, or it could be completely unrelated to the job. So for example, with the same Max Lefton example, it could be he's a cyclist. And if you are a cycler, you can do that. Or it could be someone trying to learn a new instrument yep. that you actually know how to play. Yep. And yep. if you meet that person and they're like, wow, you're so good. And if the rarer the instrument, the better, right, right. you know, then yeah. that's another way to add value to something. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, like, I think the stories of getting to meet Max Levchin are like, that's amazing. Right. And the thing that I would say though is like, and hats off that you, that you could make that happen. Cause I, but I think like, Honestly, like you don't need to meet the Max Levchins of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like those people are like, or like a lot of people come like, I'm going to meet Mark Andreessen, right? Like maybe you can work really hard and make and meet Mark Andreessen. And like, that sounds like an amazing way to, to get him to listen to you. But, but, you know, there was a, a quote that my, a mentor of mine, this guy, Roy Bahat, who is at oh, Bloomberg, but he's, he's yeah, amazing. A and, and one of the things he said was when you're looking at people who are way ahead of you in your career, you're kind of like, you think you're looking at really bright star, but you're actually looking at old light. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it's coming from like far away, and so taking advice from people who are who are way far ahead of you, it's just like they don't have really they don't have the things that you need next. Right, they have really good kind of inspiration, mm-hmm. but in terms of like tactical advice, like I would have anyone go to you guys first. So at this part of our podcast, we usually do the lightning round, and that's where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you a series of questions, and you can give us brief answers, but provide tactics, strategies, any resources that either you've used or you've seen your students use to break into a startup. With that said, uh, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question is going to take it back to the basics. So imagine you were in a brand new city, you only had $100 and you were trying to start all over again. What would you do and how would you spend that $100? Mm, Man, okay. $100, I'm in a new city. I And do, do I not know anybody? Yeah. You don't know anyone Let's assume that the basic needs are taken care of, like shelter and food, but mm-hmm. you have $100. How would you spend it to make the most out of it? I'd sit in a cafe and I'd start stalking people on LinkedIn and I'd create a list of all the people that I want to meet. And I'd, I'd come up with just like a kick-ass cold email template. And I just find, all I need is like two or three people to win over. And then I'd get them to help me you know, open up their networks obviously would would really think about how I'm adding value to them, not just sort of think about how they're adding value to me, but but that would I think 
building a network would, mm-hmm. would be kind of my, but that's also my strength, right? <laughs> so if, you know, if I were a product designer, I would probably find someone that I could do free design work for, right? Mm-hmm. Or like I would use my strengths straight off the bat. And maybe awesome. use that like that hundred dollars to buy them a pastry or something. Yeah, yeah I, I would, I would be buying coffee with all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever you take someone out, buy them coffee. All right, all right. Cool, right away. Cool. Okay, so you know, take us back to when you were a writer uh, or you were an aspiring writer, and you were going through the struggles, and you know, I don't know if you were feeling some doubt and something like that. Was there a song or a movie that you watched that helped you, you know, mm. feel like a warrior and like you know what, I'm about to restart and and do this next move? Oh man, that's a great question. You know, I mean, there were shows and movies that inspired me a lot i think that you know because i was doing tv writing like i would just constantly be consuming television you know it, which was you know, sort of self-serving in other ways too and but the work of aaron sorkin everything he's done west wing he just well, he's like a master class on screenwriting i love everything he does and his his work is just like so hopeful and just shows like what a bunch of people who are dedicated to what they do can accomplish and so I would just turn his stuff on and then use it as inspiration for writing and then just try to crank out the page after that. I've heard a lot of good things about West Wing. Oh, yeah, awesome. West Wing, A Few Good Men, American President, Studio 60 on Sunset Strip, super underrated. But yeah, Masterclass just released this like screenwriting class that he's doing only on that platform. It's amazing. We've also got a student there, so I'm, I'm plugging it for that. Yeah, oh, and awesome. I actually met the founder of Masterclass a few weeks ago. He came to speak at my company. He's Can great. Can you tell people what Masterclass is? Because I think it's another really cool way to acquire new skills. Masterclass, they are doing, so they're taking a different spin on MOOCs, and they are doing really high quality classes with people who wouldn't normally teach. So that's like Warner Herzog, who's an amazing director, doing a directing class. It's Kevin Spacey doing an acting class, Usher doing a dance class. Does that sound right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like amazing, amazing stuff. I met the, the CEO there once and he actually, he, Roji, I can't remember his first name, but he wrote a great post on doing free work for startups. He's amazing. The whole team there is just like world-class. Very cool. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that resource. So another question that we usually ask is having been uh, through the journey of, uh, kind of starting from scratch, moving to a new city or moving back into your parents' house, working for startups, doing business school, switching jobs. What is one piece of advice that you would want our listeners to know who are thinking about breaking it into tech? You know, I would say do it for the right reasons. And I think listen, like when you're taking advice, don't just take advice from people who are successful, right? Like understand the like, I'm totally someone, I'm a proponent of inspiration and I think it it does a lot of good. I think it also can cause people to make poorly thought out decisions. And so I think in equal measure, and this is one thing I did when I was screenwriting, I sampled too much on the, on the winners, right? On the people who are really successful. And so while this isn't the most uplifting message, I just, I want people to come in with realistic expectations. So like, listen to the people who had a great experience and one who sold their company for sure. But also listen to the entrepreneurs who failed and then listen to the people who kind of struggled their way up the ladder and got to like a place in the middle and come out with just a reasonable view on what could happen. And so just so that you you have a good sense of it, right? So that would be. That's great advice. It's about balance. Balance. You learn from everybody. There you go. 
Awesome. And uh, what is kind of going through this process? What is one thing that you fundamentally believed in that you changed your mind on after you finished this experience? You know, I, I think one of the things that I found at Tradecraft is I came into Tradecraft with this, you know, really wanting to not like not cause people psychological burden. It's like it's like people are coming here, they're paying a lot of money to be here, they're they're going through a tough transition. And so I, you know, I was very into like when I got here first as like program director, it was like customer service focused. And what I our founders really kind of instilled in me is like your goal is not to always be nice to everyone. Your goal is to help them accomplish what they want and be a great mentor to them. And what that often means is like imploring radical candor, which basically means coming from a place of love, but giving the truth, even if it's harsh and like giving people really honest, critical feedback sometimes, even if it's painful, even though, you know, they're paying you for it. Yeah. I mean, these guys give me tough love all the time. (laughs) Okay. And so last question, you know, what's one online resource or some books that you read that really not only helped you, but you feel would be very beneficial for someone that's also trying to follow this break into startups path. I was just opening up my Audible when I heard this lightning round because I, I knew I would forget all, all the best books. So Shout gonna, out to Audible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in. Okay. So I think from the personal development side, I think the Ryan Holiday's two books, The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, are just like fantastic for managing your own psychology, which is one of the hardest things of breaking into tech. Chip Conley talks about that a lot too. Yeah. And even in The Hard Thing About Hard Things, they talk about managing your own psychology. That is another one I was mentioned, hard thing about hard things, like a great way to get a balanced perspective, right? Don't just hear about the people who had an easy time and you know sold their company for a billion dollars. Hear about the misery and pain in between and make sure that you want it. So I'll say hard thing about hard things. I think the, I'm scrolling through Audible right now. I love So Good They Can't Ignore You. I love any of Robert Green's books, Mastery. Oh yeah, 48 Laws 48, of Power. 48 Laws of Power. It will mess you up, right? That's like, a crazy like, yeah, book. Yeah, be careful with that book. You know, the Art of Seduction. Art of Seduction. Art yeah, of yeah, War. Yeah. Then there's a book called Make It Stick. It's not made to stick. It's called Make It Stick. It's about learning and being able to learn quickly and teach yourself concepts is really helpful, especially when you're breaking into a new subject. So Make It Stick is big. The Five Elements of Effective Thinking, that's a, a rec by Heaton Shaw, which is uh, He's incredible. one of Tradecraft's mentors too, right? Tradecraft mentor. Shout out to Tradecraft. Yeah, yeah, there you <laughs> go. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Tlaib. I think that feels like a good good oh, amount man. of resources. Yeah, it's like, like a, a good month's wor- worth of reading. Well, I, the, the, <laughs> well the, listening, the, right? This is the way that I get books as people on podcasts talk about themselves like, Hopefully, you know, this will this will have uh Yeah. And the other awesome thing about audio is that you could always speed it up. So <laughs> I listen to six podcasts a day from different people. Yeah, yeah. It burdens my perspective, get to learn a lot of new things and I listen on double the speed. So something that's an hour I could probably finish in thirty minutes on the way to work at the gym. Are you on triple speed for audiobooks yet? So the podcast app I'm using only has double speed, but I was watching this Facebook video by a blind engineer and he got a question from the audience that was like, how do you like go through code? Because sometimes it could be hundreds of lines of code. And he's like, well, I just listened to it on four times the speed. And so he's like, otherwise I would have never been able to get through it. And I'm like, if he could get used to listening to something on four times the speed, I could probably manage to do it on twice the speed. You can get used to listening to code. I mean, 
That's wow. a, that's amazing. Like yeah. that's, that's talk, a, talk about that's amazing. Like being scrappy. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the definition yeah. of if, it. If you think resourceful, if you think you're having trouble, be the, be a blind engineer who has to listen to code and got a job or debugging. Facebook. Oh yeah, debugging code that could be hundreds of lines and finding that one line that has an error. I need, to I need this one, guy. One I need this guy to senses. come into tradecraft and yeah, knock some sense totally. all, and all my designers who are whining about their portfolios. He's doing artificial intelligence and accessibility at Facebook, allowing people, so people who have disability issues that now they're able to not just like read the tags, but they also interpret images because now like if it's a dog or happy face or like a family or people, the AI is able to tell you what it is. So it enhances your experience. And he's a blind programmer building the accessibility tools for other blind people. Super amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll include all of that in the show notes. So for our listeners who want to get in touch with you, are you on social media? What is the best way for them to reach out to you? So you can reach out over Twitter at N, then my last name, Dewilda, D-E-W-I-L-D-E. They're, Medium, Medium's a good place. Leave a comment in Medium or, you know, just shoot me an email, uh, Nick at Tradecraft with an E-D at the end.com. Awesome. Awesome, man. Thanks for taking the time with us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye.